Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, I feel like I haven't had a chance to really connect with you this week other than talking on our podcast. So I know. We've both been so, so much going on. And I mean, as much as like we're home, I still feel like there's a lot like I don't know. I'm trying to do a lot of stuff with my kids and like do some fun adventures to make up for the fact that so much of their summer was canceled. Um, so I know that's what we've been, we've been busy doing. Well, tell me what some of your adventures are. I know last week you talked about the stand-up <laughs> paddleboarding adventure, yeah. which I, I redeemed myself. We did that again this week. We went to a park here in our area. It is beautiful for anyone who lives in this area. I, I grew up here and I had never been to this park until I don't know, a couple months ago, we went for the first time and it's called Black Hill Regional Park. And it's uh, just north of like the Germantown Boyd's area, uh, Clarksburg. It's closer to, it's, I think it's in Clarksburg technically. And it is a beautiful, beautiful park with lots of hiking trails, lots of roads to bike. Um, you can, you can mountain bike, there are mountain bike, biking trails nearby and a huge lake. And uh, we went, we went stand up battle morning again. And I, I actually like bit my tongue the whole time thinking, cause I kept wanting to say like, I haven't fallen off yet. I'm so happy. Like maybe I won't fall off this time. And I thought if I say that, I'm just going to fall in the water. Um, but I did make it through the whole <laughs> stand up battle board without, without falling off. So we did that one day. And um, my other kids who don't have the stand up paddle boards rented kayaks. So um, we brought, we met a friend there and they did a double kayak um, and, uh, we went to Sugarloaf, which is a, a quote unquote mountain, uh, mountain here in our area. It's kind of a joke for anyone who lives anywhere. There are real mountains. Um, so we, uh, went to Sugarloaf mountain and we did some hiking. Uh, what else did we do? Uh, today, Alex and I did a really long bike ride actually out to Sugarloaf and back. Um, so just like doing a bunch of fun out, uh, outdoor stuff. I'm so loving being outdoors and, uh, and, and taking advantage of it as much as we can. So those were our adventures this week and we're starting to plan our adventures for next week already. I'm trying to do something like every few days, just something to get out of the house and, uh, do something fun. I love that. I think that's super important just because, and, and, you know, normally with summer, it's you, you don't want summer to end. You want to cherish every moment and sitting down and mapping out the summer, this summer with kids, it's sort of, everyone's kind of thinking more along the lines of getting through the summer. And I never want to wish away time, but this summer is a challenging one, uh, especially for working parents. And so similarly, I'm trying to balance, uh, figuring out some fun, meaningful adventures to do with my family, but also my kids need to understand I I have to also work. And so they need to entertain themselves too. And, um, it's tough. And, you know, I, I know for me when I was younger, I, I don't remember what I did all summer, every summer, but I have really happy memories of summer. So it's not a huge deal if they're not occupied all the time. And I'm not implying that we need to occupy them all the time, but I think Lisa, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but this is how I feel. And tell me if this is how you feel. Sometimes for me, putting those special activities and adventures on the calendar, it's more for me to feel like I have like an anchor point or something to look forward to or something to sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, describe the week ahead. 
and maybe they don't need it as much as I do. <laughs> I, I just like to have some, yeah, I like to have something yeah. to look forward to. And, and, um, like you, like I've been, I've been letting my kids sleep until like 11 or noon and I've been waking up early to get work done to like, try to get it done. Yeah. So it gives us, but if we have something planned in the afternoon, then at least gives all of us kind of something to look forward to. Like, okay, if you know, you guys can just chill and hang out for a little while. And, um, luckily for us, we also live in a neighborhood, um, with a lot of, my kids have friends here and we've been okay with the kids being outside and they've been very responsible about staying apart, you know, maybe riding bikes or taking walks down to our Creek here. And, um, so there are a lot of times we'll say like, we're just, we're going to go out and go down to the Creek and we'll be back. And, um, yeah. So, and, and I do feel like, um, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I love summer and I like having those great summer memories. So I think for me, putting those on the calendar are, Kind of creating memories so and, and new memories because these are things that we would not i don't think have done if if we didn't have all this extra time we were very over scheduled for this summer actually my kids were supposed to go on a trip with their grandparents to germany they were supposed to go to camps uh you know we we had a lot planned for the summer that's totally off the we had family events that were planned alex was supposed to do um national championship road race in in florida actually we would have just been getting back from that so we really had a schedule of the summer that was pretty booked. And I don't think we would have done any of this without it. So that was my goal in finding things to do is let's find some cool things around here that even I growing up here didn't know about and something that just will give us some good memories of the summer. So that's, that was my goal. And hopefully that is, is being accomplished. I, I felt like I had a good, you know, some weeks I feel like I did terribly balancing everything. And some weeks I feel like I did a good job. And this week I felt like we did a good job balancing work and free time and finding fun things to do and, and just getting a good balance out of the week. So that was a win in my book. Well, I think you do a good job every week. I always marvel at how well you balance it all. So I think you're doing a terrific job. Well, it's, you know, appearances are, uh, appearances can be deceiving in some weeks. I feel like it's all like, you know, for lack of a better word, a shit show, but <laughs> this week we had a good, this week, you know, though also I think part of it was that I kind of just took a step back and was like, like you said, like, it's okay if the kids if at some point say just, I have to tell them like, I gotta get work done or you just have to entertain yourself or it's okay to go be on your screens for three hours. Like that's <laughs> just, that's just the way it's going to be. And, and, and it's okay. I think letting go of that, that guilt or whatever it is for feeling like you can't juggle everything that, that made me feel like a lot better this week was just letting go of that, realizing there are going to be some days where that's what it is that my kids are still in their pajamas at one o'clock in the afternoon and they've been on their screens all morning. And some days, you know, we'll be really productive or we'll have a really fun adventure and it's okay. It all balances out. For sure. I, I think, uh, you know, if there was like a, a TikTok camp, my daughter would be <laughs> she'd, be the, yeah. she'd be the unit leader. She's, she's so good at them. Um, yeah, that's what happens when I leave them to their own devices literally is, um, there, there's massive amounts of TikToking with her friends. And I got, I got to tell you, some of them are quite impressive. So, uh, don't judge, uh, it, until you've seen them. They're pretty good. So anyway, um, yeah. So, we wanted to talk a little bit about some news of the week because normally no news is good news, but in a pandemic and running often no news is really not good news. So I feel like no news is just rattling off all of the cancellations, but you know, it's, it's expected, but still disappointing. And 
we shared this week that the latest round of marathons have been canceled. Of course, the biggest announcement being New York. And Marine Corps has not yet been canceled. They've instead um, rolled out some parameters, including one where you can run the race virtually or, or in person. But if you run it in person, you have to maintain at least a 12-minute mile. Um, and there's a reason for that. The, the reason for that yes. is that they are planning to start uh, in waves of 500 every five minutes over um, a, a pretty long period of time. So in order to get everybody started and then clear the roads, uh, I think that the people who, I wouldn't say suffer, but the people who will experience the consequence of a shorter uh, time limit on the course are those that start toward the back and the, the slower runners, especially, you know, it's staged, it's, the waves are by, by time, I'm assuming they'll, they'll still be by expected finish time. So those at the front won't have that issue. But if you're waiting, an, it's very similar to the Disney races. Disney races, same thing, you know, you can wait an hour and a half, two hours in your corral before you even actually get past the start line. And the, the issue here is that that's going to happen, but they're still going to have the same time limit on their permit. So those people who started an hour late will have an hour less available on the course. So instead of a 14 minute mile average, it is now a 12 minute mile average. Okay. So I'm going to be totally negative and anyone who uh, doesn't want to hear this, just close your ears. I don't think it's going to happen period. And here's why I, I appreciate that they're really trying, but bringing together a bunch of people who've flown on planes from all parts of the country, staying in hotels, um, and then being in corrals of even 500 people, I feel like just completely flies in the face of trying to continue to flatten the curve and um, do what we can to socially distance, you know, within reason, because I know we're coming, we're coming out of quarantine and trying to figure out how to navigate it. But I just can't imagine that Arlington, Virginia, which is where the race is staged, will want people from all over the country and frankly, outside of the country coming in and, and visiting Arlington right now and standing in the corral and, and running and using porta potties and um, availing themselves of all of the resources that might need to be used toward our city, which includes, of course, first responders. And I just, I just don't see how it's going to happen. So as much as I appreciate that they're trying, I just, I don't think that this is the year to have a major marathon. Like yeah, I mean, it could still be canceled. They're, you know, they're, that's not obviously off the table. My big question is how do you staff medical for that? Even if you assume that you can space in corrals, which again, 500 versus a thousand probably isn't that much of a difference. And even if you can figure out how to, how to design aid stations so that, uh, you know, that it's, it's consistent with CDC guidelines and not putting people at, at additional risk. How do you staff the medical tents and the medical, what, first of all, where are you getting those volunteers from? Are you taking them from places that really need that medical staff right now? And what medical staff is going to feel comfortable treating runners in that side type of, I just think that's a, that, that to me is really that, that, that aspect of it. But, you know, it's just been very interesting to see. There are still a number of marathons that are on. I mean, Fargo is one big example that has worked with the city and its localities to come up with a plan. And they have 
said affirmatively, we have a plan, we are on, we are still a go. And we've seen some other races just start to pop up and some, um, we haven't seen, I don't think any marathons yet. I think Fargo will be the first, but there are others that are announcing that they are going to still make a go of it and that they're going to put uh, measures in place. And that brings me to something that I would talk about as we kind of transition our discussion. I know we're going to talk about some current events more, but as we transition our discussion into, um, into, into training, that if you are training for what you think is going to be a marathon that is a go, or really any race, this is actually a, an issue too with um, Ironman triathlon. A lot of the Ironman triathlons are still on and they're redesigning the experience, which I actually think in a triathlon is a little bit easier because the swim start, you can actually do a time trial start and then people start to spread out. But there are a lot of uh, measures that are going to be put in place for those triathlons. And one of them being the aid stations are going to look very different and athletes will be encouraged to carry their own hydration and nutrition. And that may be the case for a lot of these races too, whether it's marathons or shorter distance races where they're not going to have aid stations or the aid stations are self-serve or they're some, you know, they're not going to look like handing open cups of water out to runners directly. So in your training, if that, if that's what you're training for and you've got that kind of target that you need to be training to carry that stuff. So when you go out on your training run, make sure you're figuring out what hydration pack works for you, what fuel belt works for you. How do you do that? Do you, you know, how are you carrying your nutrition? A lot of people use nutrition that may be harder to carry and they have in the past counted on getting it from aid stations or from a spectator along the course that's gonna hand, hand off something to them if that's possible in that race. And I don't think that's gonna be necessarily the case in these races. So as, as these races, whether it's Marine Corps or any of these other races that are saying that they're going to, to still proceed and they're going to have some different procedures, I think that's important to take into account with training is that it's not gonna look like what we used to do, especially in terms of nutrition and hydration. And, and that's gotta figure out what, what that is for your race and how do you then train to be prepared for that. You're on mute, Julie. Thank you. That is an excellent point. I think um, one thing that one might want to explore with respect to that in killing two birds with one stone is to think about nutrition such as you can or tailwind, because both of those are nutrition where you are fueling through drinking and you wouldn't have to worry about having your um, gels or uh, whatever you choose in terms of eating and drinking, but rather you could just have one item. It, of course, takes practice and you would really need to tweak that well before the taper, but now is the perfect time to experiment with that and make sure if you are experimenting with it, you run close to home or close to your car so that you are in a position that if it's not working out for you, you have option B um, and a bathroom because for some people it may not work on the first try with your stomach. But um, I know for many, you can is a great source of nutrition. I personally have not used it, but we know many of our runners who have and if you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out to us. We've coached a number of people who have used UCAN. I would say if I were to run a marathon this fall, 
in person, I would definitely be experimenting with either Tailwind or you can for that very reason. It's just so much easier to have one source of nutrition rather than multiple, particularly because you do want an electrolyte type supplement to drink along with your fuel. But of course you don't want to have your fuel and your nutrition rather and your electrolyte supplement at the same time, because that can create stomach issues and you won't have the option of having water on the course instead. So for all those reasons, it's a good time to experiment with something different. Yeah. The only thing I would say about that, um, is that any of those, um, infinite, another one that I've actually used before that I used in my Ironman race, um, any of those, the only issue with that is, um, getting another serving. Like you have to either carry the powder to the mix, or you have to carry enough of the, of, you know, if it's going to, you know, be 20 ounces per hour or whatever the amount is, you've got to carry that. So that's again, a reason to, if you're going to use a hydration pack, if you're going to have bottles and somehow you've, you've got to figure out how, how you're going to do that. And that, that really, I, I know we haven't gotten quite yet to the questions that were asked for us to discuss during our training talk, but one of them was, is how can we use this time right now to dial in nutrition? And I think the answer to that is this is a great time because we actually have typically in a training cycle, you may have three or four, you know, depending on, you know, of course that's like, you know, the, the mean or the median, uh, three or four really long runs where you can really practice your, your long run, your, your race nutrition. Um, now we have a lot more opportunities. We may have, we have, may have more than that. So I think that's what you said is exactly a great idea too, that maybe this is a time to try some liquid nutrition. That's, that is, uh, maybe easier to carry with you if you don't have aid stations and, um, and, and really just using more of your runs to, you'll have more time and more runs to experiment. So maybe go out and search on a lot of the discussion forums, uh, in different online, even Facebook groups will have people who recommend, you know, can find people who've used different options and see some people have sensitive GI systems. So may want to stick with, with certain products. Uh, some people just can't tolerate gels or can't, don't want to chew at a certain point. So this is a really good time to do that. And, and I think that would be my advice is to use those runs that are a little bit longer, even if they're not your typical 20 mile long run, maybe it's a 10 mile long run, anything over about 75 minutes, you can practice with nutrition about every 30 minutes, um, I'm taking in some nutrition and, and see what works and really see how it works in terms of logistics and carrying it too. Is it hard to carry? Is it bulky? Is it going to be hard to get out of a package? How does that work? Yeah. And um, it's also a good time to order some different types of water bottles or go to your local running store and, and pick up a couple of different uh, water bottle uh, accessories. I know we talked about this before. I prefer a handheld. I don't like wearing my bottle. I feel like it causes some imbalances. I know other people really love wearing a belt with their nutrition and hydration sources. So this, in, in keeping with what you said earlier about practicing your nutrition, it's also a great time to practice which water accessory you want to run your race with. Yeah, that's good. And in terms of, you know, what we recommend to our runners, we typically say to start with as sort of the starting point, about 30 to 40 grams of carbs per approximate 30 to 40 minutes. So that would get you about 60 
to 80 grams of carbs per hour and our bodies can't absorb much more than that. So start with that and see how that works. If, if that is causing you GI distress and maybe you want to change what you use or back off a little bit, or maybe you want to start a little bit lower than that and build, you know, if you're not used to, if you're somebody who's not used to taking nutrition on your run or you're trying something new, maybe start with 20 grams of carbs, maybe start, you know, with a little bit less uh, and then build up to it. But it's super important to get your body used to processing that nutrition, even if you feel like, oh, I don't really need it. That's only a 12 mile run. I don't typically take anything on 12 miles or, um, you know, it's only an easy train. I, I'm fine running my 20 mile run with no nutrition. I don't need it. That may be true for a training run. You may be getting through those training runs, but when you increase your pace and you're running faster, you're burning through glycogen more quickly and your body will need the fuel on race day. And if you haven't tried it before and your body isn't used to processing that nutrition, you, you could be in for, for some not great surprises and you don't want that. So that's, that's really important to, to take the time now to practice, even if you feel like you don't need to do it on, on training runs is to, is to do that now and get your body used to processing that, that nutrition. Yeah. And if you're someone that really can't stand taking in a lot of nutrition during a long run, especially during the heat and humidity where our bodies, um, aren't functioning, our digestive systems aren't functioning quite as well because we're working so hard to stay cool. Sometimes it's even harder to digest things often it is in heat and humidity. One suggestion is maybe give some experimental nutrition a try during your medium long run where you're, you are doing some threshold work. So let's say you're doing a medium long run on a Thursday where you're doing some um, pacing at close to or under marathon pace and your run is over 75 minutes, that's a great opportunity to try some nutrition um, within a shorter run. So you're not out, you know, during mile 15 of your 20 miler run with suddenly uh, GI distress. Yep. And just one related question that came up recently was um, fasted long runs. And this is the, the theory is that if you run fasted, which means you don't eat breakfast before you go out for a long run, your body will more effectively tap into your fat stores because um, you don't have the glycogen to, to burn. So your body will become much more efficient at burning fat, which is what we want to do in a long distance, a long, a long duration event is burn fat for fuel that lasts a lot longer. So that's the theory. Um, but really what studies show and what we've, seen just firsthand in our own experiences and in coaching runners is that really if you're going to go out for a 20 mile run and you're going to try to do it fasted it's more than likely than not going to backfire in you and you're going to have a really poor quality long run and it will inhibit your performance in the end so while it is true that some fasted long runs can kind of tweak that glycogen uh, or i'm sorry the fat burning um process there's a point of diminishing returns and um, our advice typically to runners is, is not to do fasted long runs. Maybe at the beginning of a training cycle when your long runs 10 miles or uh, 12 miles, maybe if you really want to experiment with it, that that's an okay time to do it because you're not going to sabotage your run. But once you get up to those long runs, 20 mile long runs or you know three hours of being out on your, on your feet, um, that's really not the time to try to do that fasted. It's not really the, the, the diminishing returns come into play and, and really you need to train your body again to, to process that fuel. And you want to practice with 
what you're going to eat on race day for you're going to eat breakfast on race day. You have to go into the race with some topped off glycogen stores. So you're going to eat something. And, and again, you don't want that surprise on race day where you never train, used it in training. And all of a sudden you eat something that is not going to agree with you and, and you're not going to do well. So, so that was just another related question to, to how do we dial in nutrition? It's, it's not just in the nutrition while you're on your long run, but what you're eating before your long run too. That's a great point. And also to that point, there are a lot of people who may do like every third run, a long fasted run. And that is based on studies that have shown that it could tap into your fat burning stores and allow you to burn fat more efficiently. But those studies notoriously and historically have used men. Yes. And, you know, women are not small men. Uh, women are wired differently um, hormonally and, of course, in, in every other aspect. And as a result, studies have shown the few studies where women um, have been the test subjects have shown that it actually really backfires with women. And I'm trying to learn more about this, and we'd love to get this woman on our podcast to talk about it. We've tried, so if anyone knows her, please let us know. Her name is Stacy Sims, and she's the author of the book Roar. And for anyone who hasn't um, read the book, we highly recommend it because it's one of the few resources out there that really talks about women in sport and how uh, our hormones are different and therefore cause us to process fuel differently among other things and perform differently athletically. And I know that this is an area ridiculously that has not been researched nearly enough. And hopefully that this information in 10 years will be old news because it's been researched so much more. But until we have major studies where women are being used as test subjects, we are going to continue to rely on a lot of information where they've been more um, comprised of men. And so the fasted run um, historically has been based on responses by subjects who are men. So for those women for whom fasted running works, awesome. But for those who it doesn't or you're not seeing a difference, don't worry about it fueling. It's, it's really, um, from what we've read and what we can see ourselves through coaching our runners, it's, it's better to have fuel. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah. So moving on from nutrition, um, we talked about last week and this is what we wanted to do this week is we wanted to take people's questions because we like to do these kind of coaching podcasts every month and, we wanted to hear from you. So we've gotten a, some really great questions and we just picked a few based on the questions we received um, to talk about. So Lisa, why don't you share the next question that we received? Yeah. The next question I think is a really good one and, and it plays into our coaching often and also relates to heat and humidity and the summer. But the question was um, time versus mileage, uh, especially in training for a marathon. Uh, is it okay to go out and run and cap your long run at three hours, even if you don't hit 20 miles? And I think that's a great question. And we do this a ton with our runners. Um, really the, the returns, and this is speaking specifically to, to long runs right now. Um, but the returns 
on your, in, in terms of building your endurance of your long run, start to diminish after about two and a half hours. And then the stress on your body becomes more substantial. So that risk benefit analysis of running more than really two and a half, maybe three hours, um, you're really just, um, you're, you're doing more damage than, than good in terms of building your, your aerobic endurance. So many times we tell our runners, you know, this run is 18 miles or three hours, whichever comes first and three hours of time on your feet. Now, even if you're somebody who's a five hour marathoner going out and running three or four, however many, two or three or four, five hour long runs, isn't going to make you any more prepared for that marathon. It really may just beat your body down and really, um, put you kind of behind the eight ball in terms of recovery and preparation for your marathon. So, uh, many times we do that and related to the heat, we do this a lot with the heat too, where we're telling people to run, you know, your long run is eight miles and somebody goes out to run and their pace has slowed and they end up running, you know, whatever the, the time is. If it's the equivalent time as to what it would have been, um, the mileage would have been in ideal weather, it's okay. It's the same, it's the same stress on your body. Um, so absolutely running time versus mileage. The particular question was whether saying I'm going to cap my long run at three hours is sabotaging that is going to put them in a bad position for being prepared for the marathon. And related is that what is your goal for the marathon? Now, this particular question came from somebody who's um, going to run the Boston virtual and just wants to finish it, just wants to be in a position where they can finish it. Absolutely. In that case, three hours on your feet. I don't care if it's 12 miles or 20 miles. That is plenty of time on your feet to build that endurance. So I would say that to, to any runners who are either struggling in the heat or trying to figure out their long run plans and how long do they have to go, um, really anything over three hours is, is, is not, especially in the heat and humidity, is, is not going to be giving that much added benefit. So for certain, it's okay to run by time. A lot of our runners, we do, we will tell them, you know, they would rather see time than mileage because they don't necessarily want to, you know, the pressure of having to get in a certain number of mileage, but we can say, or when we substitute cross training, we do that. We say, you know, if your six miles would have taken you an hour and you're going to cross train instead for injury or for whatever reason, do equal time. So it's really the time that is, that is most important. A lot of runners come back to us from their long runs and say, oh, I was so slow on that. Or I finished so slowly. Like the last few miles were so slow. I had to walk. And we always tell them this was an endurance run. It doesn't matter. You got in two and a half hours of time on your feet. I don't care what your mileage was. I don't care that, you know, you had to walk some in that last, that last bit. So, uh, that, that would be our advice. I think, do you have any, any other viewpoints on that or anything to add? Yeah, I think that it's really important to run by time, especially if you're returning from injury, um, or pregnancy or, or, you know, you just had a baby or, or any reason that you've had a long layoff. Uh, returning to running after a long layoff and using time as your metric versus mileage is so much uh, less discouraging than trying to run based on miles. And your body doesn't really care how many miles you ran. Like you're still getting the same benefits and just having, not having the pressure of looking at your watch and assessing your performance after each mile and, and internalizing how fast you ran each mile. Um, I think that's, that's really important, particularly in heat and humidity. I just did a long run yesterday. It was like, oh, it was just awful. I, the dew point was really high yesterday morning and I started a little later than I normally would. And I suffered and I 
I didn't really have a mileage goal. I just sort of had to be back by a certain time. So whatever I finished, I finished. And that's typically what I've been doing this summer is just, okay, well, I need to be back by 10. So whatever I get done by 10 is what I'll run. So yesterday I ran uh, 13 miles and the last couple of miles were such a slog. And I just kept thinking to myself, none of this matters. I mean, why do I care? But just the metric of seeing the time or the mile time on my watch around mile 10, I realized I was going a lot slower than I normally run. And I just completely like turned my watch off and just finished. And when I got home, I had something to drink and I had more clarity and I realized I was dehydrated and just really hot. But um, my point is, is that even the most experienced runners have moments of discouragement and switch to time and it's never a bad thing. So I completely agree with you. And we're actually coaching uh, Roman who was on our podcast a couple weeks ago, who is doing really, really well. He um, of course shared his story of um, dealing with COVID and was just so just, we, we so appreciated his openness and so many people, um, reached out to Roman and shared how much they valued his, his, um, ex- him sharing his experience. And we certainly appreciated that. And he's now slowly, but surely returning to running and again, using time as a metric instead of mileage. And I think it's, it's causing him to not feel discouraged because when you go out and run by time, you don't care about your pace. You're just running by time and it's time on your feet. So I think it can be used in the long run. It can be used in terms of returning to running. It can be used when you're feeling really sluggish in the heat and humidity. And for all of those reasons, there's no reason to always feel like you need to run a certain mileage. So totally agree. And again, especially depending on what your goal is, um, and really, I mean, any goal, but particularly if your goal is to finish a race or just to be in the, the physical condition where you can safely finish a race, for sure, time is, is, is plenty to, to go by. Yeah. And if I could add, I just realized, you know, the other reason I think that my run yesterday was so shitty is because sometimes we fail to think about all of the external reasons why your run may not be so great because we don't train in a vacuum. So I had returned, I, I took my kids to the beach for a couple of days and I got back late Friday night and I ran Saturday morning. I'm sure I was dehydrated. And also, I mean, when you, when, when I go to the beach, it's not like my, my food intake is the <laughs> normally what I would normally eat. I mean, I sustained for a few days on a diet of, let's see, um, thrashers, fries, grotto pizza. Um, but- what else? What else do I eat? Oh, fudge, a little fudge. Um, what else, Lisa? Um, let's see, some Fisher's popcorn. <laughs> you can all stuff out of your candy kitchen. Yeah, no, definitely. Right, right. I think that happens a, a, a lot with um, our runners too, is like, we'll get a, you know, we'll have a runner say, my run is so bad and I don't know why. And we'll say, well, what'd you do yesterday? Oh, well, I went, I, I had some wine last night and you're like, well, there you go. Like that's how was your sleep this week? Oh God, work was so stressful. I didn't sleep really well this week. So you're right. doesn't happen in a vacuum. And uh, (laughs) certainly the beach does not make for, I'll have to tell you every year I would come back from the beach and it's this time of year. So it like kind of made me sad that 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 wasn't happening this year, but I probably remember every year we go to the beach to St. 
week and we'd come home on Saturday, Friday night or Saturday morning. And Saturday night would always be our, one of the local races here. It's really fun and evening race suds and souls. And I would always do really, really well. Like that was always like, I would always come home, come back saying, oh my gosh, like I've been at the beach for a week. I like haven't done a lot of running. I've been eating crap. And I'd come home and I'd be like, it's the fudge, like getting the fudge. But I would always think too, that like just um, sleeping more and not running as much and relaxing at the beach put me in a good and, and probably powered by fudge and candy kitchen. Uh, But I would always have a good race when I come back from the beach and it was always bizarre. I do remember that you would always turn to me and say, Oh, I'm going to have the worst race. I have, I ate so much crap. And then you would have like these jets on and you would run really well. So I think the 5k lends itself. You can get away with a lot with 5k. Like the 5k is a great distance because your bad habits aren't necessarily revealed in the 5k, but if you try to go for a 13 mile long run, I would probably definitely, would definitely feel it, but you're right. That is for a good sure. all those, like yeah. all that glycogen that was in my system lasted about 3.1 miles. And that was, yeah. that was it. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, and we, you know, we had, have had a lot of questions about heat and humidity too. And I think we've kind of touched on a lot of that, but we really, um, you know, we're, we're a lot of people are starting to acclimate, but even once you acclimate, on days like yesterday, I and mean, that was just miserable. And the dew point, really, it's not even the heat, it's the dew point. And when the dew point's really high, um, you can't, and, and we put in our runners' schedules when we, when we give them uh, workouts that have some speed components, we'll say, you know, this is your 5K pace, but adjust for heat and humidity. And, and they seem to miss that a lot. And they'll come back and say, oh, I didn't hit my paces. And we say, well, of course you did. It's 97% humidity today. Like, did you see the note that said adjust for heat and humidity? Oh, I didn't see that. So, you know, if you're not hitting your paces that you think you should be, you can't hit your paces. There's, they're actually, calc- and we talked about this before, they're actually calculators that you know, are online that you can go play around with if you want to, that adjust that, your paces for heat and humidity, but you can't hit those paces. So that's just another thing to think about. Yeah, I always put, like for summer training for the paces, I always put 5k effort. And yep. I, I, I hope people when they read it recognize, even though we say it, if you wake up that morning, you look at your workout and final surge, I hope people see it's not, there is a distinction between 5k effort and 5k pace. Yep. And summer running is all about effort. But you and I both have talked about this before. I also find speed work to be incredibly challenging in cold weather. So it's weird. While certainly a long run is really hard in the heat and humidity, I'm generally okay on a shorter workout when I have to go fast because I'm, my muscles are warmer and I'm, I'm just able to execute a little better. Um, so for me, that effort word comes into play more in the winter when I'm winter training, actually, because I have a hard time hitting fast paces on when I'm cold. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Because like my muscles yeah. get warmed up. So, um, yeah. So you want to go on to, we can go on to another question that, yeah. uh, that came up was um, how to, and, and this is another really great question that um, during the pandemic, especially now we're starting to reopen and, and some PT offices and massage therapists are able to see clients again, patients and clients again. But when we can't easily get to PT or that has to be telehealth, or you can't get to your massage therapist that you may go see regularly or, or, or you know, are used to seeing on, on a regular basis, how do 
we at home get like the maximum benefit out of stretching and foam rolling uh, when, when we can't be seeing the PT or the massage therapist. So that's a really good, good question. I don't know if you want to touch on some tips for that. Sure. So first of all, like most runners are not so great at stretching and foam rolling. So anything that you're able to do that is more than what you've been doing is better than nothing. So recognize that if you're the kind of runner that you don't do a ton of stretching and foam rolling on your own, but you generally get into your PT or massage person, you know, a few times a month, by just doing a little extra foam rolling and stretching, even if you can't see your PT or massage person, you're, you're probably doing more than you realize. Spending just a few minutes a day is, is really effective in making it a habit. So if you're someone that you say to yourself frequently, I know I need to be better about stretching or I know I need to be better about foam rolling. But the thing is when I'm done with my run, as soon as I walk in the door, my kids are asking me for a snack or breakfast and work needs, needs to be done. And I, I get jump on the computer and then that's it. So maybe what you need to do is place your foam roller on your, let's say you live, um, in a home where you have like a front step, maybe put your foam roller right on your front step. So before you even walk in the door, your foam roller is that sort of um, like Pavlov's dog. You see the foam roller before you walk in the door and you know that before you walk in the door, you need to foam roll. So making a habit of it where you're, you're placing the, el the element in a place where you can't avoid it. Um, if you're under your desk, put it, put it under your desk. Like, so once you sit down at your desk, it's there and you can you know, go sit down on the floor while you're on a conference call or while you're doing something or, you know, stand up and, and use a, the stick or something like that. If you can keep it by your desk. Um, I find I keep stuff by my bed at night. So when I'm getting in bed, I'm like, oh, like, yeah, let me spend five minutes. And that's actually super like relaxing. Like it's not, you know, it's not some hard workout you have to do. It's like literally like, let me check my email on my phone while I sit on the foam roller. Um, so right. Putting it in a place that like you can't, that, that reminds you. So either at your desk or on your front step or by your bed, I think that's a really a good, good idea. Yeah, I always, I've talked about this before. I always have a foam roller under my desk in my office. Well, I'm not going into my office these days. So um, I, I realized I wasn't being as great about foam rolling as much. So I have a foam roller right now in my family room and it's just there. So if I'm on the couch or, you know, watching TV or something, I know that at some point I need to use it. So I, it's, it's not really a time issue for most people in terms of stretching and foam rolling. I think it's more of just having to do one more thing is exhausting and it's not fun. Or so you it's a reminder issue too. Yeah. Like kind of forget yeah. through the whole day and you're like, oh, I did. And I think you also brought up a really good point when you said, you know, you're not in your office. Well, we're all also in very different routines now and, and sitting a lot more and um, sitting in chairs maybe that aren't as, as, as great for our bodies and, um, so standing up during the day and just getting in some stretches while you're standing in front of your desk or remembering that you're, you're not getting up to move, you may not be in your normal routine as much, um, is really, I, I think, you know, also plays into this. A lot of the injuries we see runners getting now are not from their running, but it's from their sitting or from their habits the rest of the day. So that's something I think to think about too, is getting up to stretch or getting up to move, maybe some dynamic stretches 
during during the day, but um, but definitely the foam roller because again, if you're not going to the PT, you're not going to a massage therapist who really would be able to ma manipulate some of that deeper you know, that tissue work. Um, getting a or, or um, a Theragun or some type of you know that type of tool and using that um, and and telehealth appointments with PTs are still a really good option because they can do a lot by uh, just kind of doing some assessments over over telehealth and giving you some specific exercises or stretches to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I actually went into Rachel Miller's office, our physical therapist, and I felt really comfortable there. They're, they're doing a great job. So for those that do have the opportunity to go into a physical therapy office, obviously based on your own comfort level, but know that they they are all doing a terrific job of ensuring that everyone is wearing PPE and um, using social distancing. And um, I, I thought it was set up really well. So that's also an option. But to your point with the Theragun, I have a Theragun. I really like it. Um, I bought it. With, I had a bunch of like running warehouse gift cards and I pulled them together and got a Theragun back in December. And it's fantastic. So if you've been thinking about getting a Theragun or Hypervolt is another brand that's really good. I, I think they, they just feel really good. You can use them on um, all, all different parts of your body. And what's really nice is that you can change the settings. So with foam rolling, you can't change the settings and it can be really painful at times. Um, with a Theragun, you can kind of manipulate it so that it, it can be either strong or light depending on where the area is that you're trying to get in it, like a deep tissue massage. So yeah, that's a really good option as well. I hope we answered that question. Yeah. And, and just related to that question, I think something that's important to touch on uh, is catching injuries early. Um, you know, and, and again, maybe not having quick access to a PT or hopefully having some access now that things are opening up, but uh, little niggling things that start to come up, catching them early and taking a few days off, cross-training, figuring out what's going on, maybe looking at like, what have I done? And, and maybe it's nothing, but what have I changed? What have I done? Okay, maybe I have been sitting so much and maybe that's why my right side, you know, my right piriformis is hurting me because I'm leaning on my chair on that side. But but catching those early, and we've had a couple of runners who have had little things come up and with a few days off, which is really hard for runners, um, especially now when what else are you going to do? Um, but catching those early and, and the runners that have caught them early and have taken maybe two or three days off or four days or even a week off, they're fine now. And it's really just a matter of, you know, rest and recovery and uh, not trying to run through it. So catching those early because um, when races do come back, we don't want to be in a position where now we're having to take off a you know, month, two months, or have some serious injury crop up. So really paying attention to those. This is a good time. If, if you know, if you have to take a week off now, if there's not huge consequence to your training. Uh, so it, it's much better for long-term. So if you're feeling little things going on now, take a few days off. If it's still bothering you in a week when you've taken some time off and you've done all the stuff that you should do cross training and you've stretched and you've rested, um, then it's time to, to call a professional. Yeah. And, and to your point, I, I know there's also people out there that they're afraid to take a week off. This is a whole other subject, but I think it's worth addressing. There are people who are like, feel this fear of if I take a week off, am I, am I going to gain weight? Because people, um, understandably 
rely on their fitness routine and sort of feel like that's going to keep them at a certain weight. And that's a whole other issue. But we, we assure you that just taking a week off is not going to change your fitness and it's, you're not going to gain weight by taking a week off from running. You can, you can, you can do it. And if you allow your body the time it needs to heal, or if there's some inflammation and you just need to take that time to allow it to heal, you're, you're going to be okay. And actually it's, it's really good for your brain sometimes to kind of just take, take time off from the exercise you regularly do either try something new, try something gentler, or just rest. And um, rest includes active rest, which is, you know, taking walks, um, cycling on a, on like a high cadence, low resistance, but just know nothing's going to happen to you if you change your routine for a week and, and take that time off. Other than you might feel better and you still yeah. able to run. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what should happen to you. So yeah, so it, it's, it's hard. And we know a lot of runners are very type A and are very stuck to their schedules, but, uh, but a few days now, so much better than, than, or than running through pain too. You don't want to be running through pain. So that was just another kind of related, related topic. And then I think the last question that we wanted to touch on, and we get a lot of these questions is, um, but qualify specific to Boston, but qualifying for Boston in the future. So we know there's a lot of uncertainty right now around what's going to happen Boston 2021. What's the field size going to be? Uh, what is qualifying going to look like? We already know that the qualifying window has been extended for those who uh, were, well, we think for those who specifically for those who were registered for Boston 2020, that basically we can use our times from 2018, but we don't know how that's going to affect the cutoff. We don't know what it's going to look like in the future to qualify for Boston, but we get a lot of questions about, I want to qualify for Boston in 2022, 2023. How do, what do I do? How do I start? Do, is there a group I should join? Is there something I should do magical? Is there a magical pill I should take? Uh, so let's talk just a little bit about aside from what time you're going to need and what the process is going to look like, because we don't quite know that yet, but Let's, let's talk a little bit about people who have sort of that semi-long-term goal, whether it be, you know, doing a race by next fall to ostensibly qualify for 2022 or doing a race in the next couple of years to qualify for 2023 or 2024. Let's talk a little bit about that process. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I think the process is enjoy the process because we can't dictate to our bodies, okay, well, I'm 39 years old and therefore I need, um, what is it? You need a, th- if you're 39, I got to look at it. Was it 340 now? I don't, I don't remember. I, I think it's like, yeah. So you, whatever that time will be hypothetically for 2023, the qualifying time, let's just say for all intents and purposes, you need a 335 with a buffer you know, you need a 333 or something and you want to train for that. No, you can't. What you have to do is train from where you are right now. So take a look at your fitness right now and run a a two mile time trial since there are no races. Or if a race comes back, run a 5k. Take a look at that, extrapolate the number and use that number to theoretically figure out where your fitness is right now and build from that. Uh, Doing long runs at a pace that is not naturally your easy pace is only going to derail the process 
to achieve your goal. So or running, always, or running along, trying to run marathon pace miles that are not your current marathon oh. pace miles, like trying saying, okay, so it's 335 currently for women who are 39. Okay. So you probably want to aim for something closer to 330 to give yourself some cushion. So as somebody, you know, like you said, if you don't know where your fitness is to start to say, I'm going to go out and run 330 marathon pace for, you know, eight miles, because that's what I need to basically build my body up to doing that could prop that could possibly be your like anaerobic pace or your lactate threshold pace right now. And you're not, you're, you're not accomplishing the goal by going out and running. So you're right. Exactly. Got to start where you are right now. Yeah. And then, and, and then when races do come back, pick a couple of shorter races and see how your fitness translates. And you may find that you're actually more fit than you realize in a race setting or a little less speedy than you thought. No big deal. Continue to work from where you are right now. And if you are running the right paces, the fitness will come. And what's more important than anything is enjoying the process. Because if you set a goal to qualify for Boston and you're chasing that goal uh, and not enjoying the actual training, you will hate running by the end of it. It's just, it's not a way to live. So instead, think about the goal as a long-term goal, but instead establish baby steps, establish mini goals. And every time you achieve a mini goal, you'll continue to enjoy the process because you recognize that the process is allowing you to achieve things that you hadn't achieved before. And by the same token, if you are frustrated and you're finding you're not yet close to that long-term goal of achieving a BQ, you can look back and say, that's okay, because look at all of these short-term goals I'm achieving during this process, and I'm still getting better. I'm still getting faster, and I'm really enjoying this. So I think that's really important. You don't want to resent the goal or, or feel that or, or allow the goal to minimize all of the accomplishments along the way, because that too is an issue. What about someone who achieves a PR, but they minimize it because it wasn't quite a BQ? No, you achieved a PR. That's huge. Celebrate that. You deserve to celebrate that. That doesn't mean you can't still have a BQ goal, but 10 years down the road, you're, you're going to regret not celebrating that PR because PRs don't come come easily. And when you have one, you should always, always celebrate it. And it doesn't even have to be a PR. I think if it's any kind of, you know, just accomplishment, just finishing a a race, just getting, or even if it's not a race, maybe finishing a week of training and being consistent with your training and getting your strength training. in. like you said, if you're not, if you're losing sight of that process and all of the, the, the improvements that you've made to your health and your body and just your discipline, you know, if you really just had the discipline to get in marathon training, but I do, I think that's so important to look at, at, as you had said, baby steps, and you had mentioned, um, assessing your fitness by a shorter race. And what we mean by that is that you can take a shorter distance time and put that into a race calculator. Now, different race calculators will give you slightly different extrapolations of what that means you could run at the marathon distance. Um, but you'll get a general sense of where your ballpark is. So if your ballpark is 
a little bit off of a BQ, if it's, if it's a lot off of a BQ time, then you have to realize that it's, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And there's no magic pill to take. There is no, I, even as coaches, there's no magic, you know, just hiring us as coaches isn't going to magically qualify you for Boston. It, it's a process. You have to work at it. So there's no group that you can join that's going to magically make that happen. I think you also have to look at uh, what motivates you. So uh, in terms of, you know, is there a group to join? Well, there may be a local running group that's training and uh, you, you might want to join that group. Maybe it keeps you motivated to run with a group and you really like sharing training stories with, with people who have similar goals. But then you also have to look at, are you the type of person who's going to get discouraged because you're not keeping up with a certain pace group or you're not doing the same workouts as somebody else or hitting the same paces. Like if that's going to stress you out, then maybe that maybe a group's not for you. Maybe then you train on your own and use your own achievements as your benchmark. But if that's motivating to you and you find a group that you fit in well with, and that, you know, you're training smart with that group, then, then, then that's, so I think you really have to kind of look at yourself and what, what motivates you, what is going to keep you focused on your goal and not on other people's goals and uh, and and how are you going to progress healthy does that mean having a coach that's going to give you workouts that are designed specifically for you then go check out coaches and see where you, who you click with and who has a similar philosophy and who you think is going to keep you again keep you positive and motivated and focused on the achievements that you're having along the way uh, and and really figure out what what's going to work for you because what works for somebody else may not may not work for you so there's Bottom line is there's no magic to qualifying for Boston. It's a process. It's work. It's a lot of self-reflection and, uh, and, and, and it's baby steps. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I was thinking about what you were saying. I was thinking back to the first time I qualified for Boston. It was a summer. It was a summer that was record heat in the DC area. And I really, I didn't have the goal of qualifying for Boston because that summer, I think it was like the summer of 2000, I'm dating myself. I believe it was the summer of 2002. And I just was running at very slow paces because it was super, super hot and humid. And I surprised myself and, and ran, I think it was something in the three thirties. I can't remember the exact time now. It was so long ago, but I looked it up after someone told me I might've qualified based on my age at the time. And, and I did. And, um, it was at that point that I learned about Boston. And I was very excited about it, but my point is I trained slower that summer than any other training cycle ever. And to date, I ran all of my long runs that summer so much slower than my uh, marathon pace because I couldn't go any faster. It was just super, super hot in the DC area. And uh, I, I also think that there's a lot of, of proof in the pudding that if you can really be disciplined about running your easy runs easy and running slower than what you think you should run, 
it, you will reap benefits because you will not be exhausting yourself after every run and playing catch up with recovery. I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it's worth repeating. So to your point with running in groups, if you find that you are running in a group where you are running at conversational pace because you're able to talk to people, but you're still feeling like it's a little bit harder to maintain that pace and, and dial it in, and it's not necessarily your natural pace when you're running alone, then maybe you need to move back a group, or maybe you just need to run on your own. And this is, of course, after you know all of this is over, where we're back to running in groups. But now is a great opportunity as we run uh, solo or maybe with one other person at this point to explore what is your sweet spot with respect to easy pacing and recognize that the slower you run generally, the more you're going to benefit and be able to nail those harder uh, efforts. And you won't be playing catch up as much. Your body won't constantly be fighting recovery. And instead you'll naturally recover more because you won't be exhausted and depleted as much because you are running slower. So just some things to remember as you target whatever your goal is, is that there is no run one size fits all, but there are some general rules of thumb. And one of them that we wholeheartedly believe in is you just really can't run your easy runs too easy. Yeah. And I would also just touch on, and, and you brought up a couple of good points that reminded me um, in terms of you know, people who are trying to qualify for Boston, picking the right race. And again, this is assuming races are back on the calendar and we have a full selection of races, but um, you know, if training through the summer is just really, if you're not somebody who runs well in the heat, then you're probably not going to want to pick a fall marathon. If you're somebody who like, we hate training in the cold, like maybe a, a spring marathon is not the right marathon. And um, are you, you know, there's a lot of talk about, should I do a downhill marathon? You know, there are a lot of marathons that are actually designed to be fast and downhill. Doesn't necessarily mean it's easier. It can really, if, if you're doing that, you have to train appropriately and make sure you're training on downhills. But there do, is a, there is a, um, I would say a, a, a method and a strategy to picking your goal race. So if you're somebody who's looking couple things you have to do. If you're somebody who's looking to qualify for a future Boston Marathon, a couple things. First of all, look at the qualifying windows. So the qualifying window typically is September. Again, this is all assuming qualification is what it's been in the past many years, but typically the window is September through um, through the next September. So was that right? Yeah. That right. Mm -hmm. September through the next September. So registration starts in September and you can use a time that you ran from the last, last September. So you basically have a, almost a full calendar year to run a race. So if you're looking, for example, let's say you want to qualify, um, for 2022, you would need to run a race before, uh, September, of 2021 before early September of 2021 because registration for 2020-22 will open in September of 2021 and you'll have to have a time from typically between September of this year to September 2021. Now, a lot of questions have come up. We've gotten a lot of questions from people, especially who listen to the podcast saying, well, what's going to happen? There were no races between March and September. Like what's going to happen? There are no qualifying times. We, we don't know, but that's typically the window. So you, 
the other part of the strategy is if you're aging up, if you're going to be 40 in 2022, you could be 39 in 2021 and still run that race and get that extra time. So there's some um, like kind of like strategy involved and, and you do have to look carefully at the qualifying windows. Right now we're still in the qualifying window for 2021 and that will go until um, you know, until September, until registration opens. And then anything really after mid-September this year would really be for 2022 qualifying. So it's, it, it, it does take a little, and even we've been, we've run how many Boston marathons and we have you know, registered for how many Boston marathons and we still have to look back and be reminded of what are the qualifying times? What are the, what's the window? Um, and then you have to think about the buffer that if not everybody gets in, there may be, you know, a, a cutoff. And so you're, you're, your time that you're targeting is maybe not your qualifying time, but maybe a few minutes faster. So a lot of moving parts, I would say, talk to people who run Boston or coaches who coach Boston marathon runners to get some guidance on picking the right race for you. Yeah. If I could give a shout out to, I mean, I think one of the best races is, is the one I ran last year, the last chance to BQ point two race. Um, there's one in Michigan and there's, um, a couple, there's one in the fall and one in the spring outside of Chicago. I think they do a phenomenal job. And if, if you're someone that doesn't mind loops, it's such a controlled course. And it really, it, the whole purpose of the race is to support those who are seeking a BQ. I think it's a great, I think it's a great environment to BQ. At the same time, um, back to that whole enjoy the process thing. Um, it's definitely not the kind of race where you're running it just to run the race. It has a purpose to be cute. So if you're someone that doesn't want that pressure, I, I don't know how pleasant of an experience it would be if you're trying to run it and enjoy the process and, you know, trying to sort of think of the BQ as sort of a secondary goal. It's all over the place with that race. So it might not be the best environment for a reach BQ goal, but if you're someone that you know, you feel like it's within the realm of possibility and you want a controlled environment. It's a really, really good race for a, a BQ attempt. But I would be remiss without saying another layer to this, of course, is what is 2021 going to look like? And we just don't know. And it's just something to keep in the back of our minds. I don't, I, I want to be hopeful and I don't mean to be negative, but I think it's also important to sort of watch what's happening and, and recognize that at this point, racing is really up in the air. And while small races we think will make a return much sooner than large global races and world marathon major races for the, for the masses, um, we really need to wait and see what, what, will happen in 2021. To that end, um, we've talked a lot about this with each other. If you are looking to run a marathon, we highly suggest targeting smaller marathons that are closer to home. Those are much less likely to be canceled at this point. Um, and one marathon that, Lisa, you want to talk about that's local to us that looks like it's going to be a go um, this fall is um, one that's put on by a uh, local race director, Jay Wind. So there are two that he has planned. They're on the CNO canal. And um, I always forget the name of the first one. I'd have to look it up. It's the uh, 
became, it's, it's named after somebody, um, I'll look it up while we're talking, but um, there are two. One is September 12th, so somebody who's looking to um, try to qualify for 2021, um, that would be a good, uh, good option. And then there's one in October, um, I'm looking up the names of them right now, but, um, but those are on the CNO canal and we actually talked to Jay or emailed with him just to kind of get a sense of what he thinks and the, the parks are issuing permits again. So he was, so he was hopeful that they would, um, they, that they'll be able to do them with, with modifications. So he mentioned maybe doing several different waves, um, you know, different, uh, different protocols. And again, this is something runners need to look into. If you are going to do a race, that's still on. Do they not have aid stations? Do they, you know, what, it, what does packet pickup look like? What, what, what is it going to look like? And so, yeah, so races like that, that are small already, uh, we, we've heard of several others that are working on, on procedures to, to start the race, even Marine Corps, that's what you know, Marine Corps has done, but mostly smaller races that are, I think are much more able to do that again so that you don't have to travel you don't have to invest a ton of money if you lose your money or if you get deferred to the next year not a huge loss you haven't sunk a lot into travel I think that's probably the best bet yeah for sure and those races are on the CNO canal so in terms of looking at the course it is a certified course but it's it's a it's more of like a, a gravel dirt sort of surface um ah, which ah, dirt, yeah yeah, so that is a different kind of surface to run on. Um, for, for some, it feels better, but for some, it requires more effort. Um, so it's definitely a surface that you would want to train on to practice because while for many, that's a great opportunity to have a, a really solid race, for others, it, it may not be the best surface for running a marathon. Um, I think yeah. it's called the marathon. Is it co-op? Is no, that no, no. Hold on. I'll tell you. I've got it right here. Okay. It's the, um, it is the, hold on. I'm getting to it. Sorry. Hold on. It is the, sorry. My phone is not, not showing me the, um, the, a baby bikila marathon, international peace, international peace marathon and half. It's the 14th year, the Abibi Bikila International Peace Marathon. That is September 12th. And then October 3rd is the, um, that, I think that's the Potomac River Run Marathon. So that's October 3rd. So that's a little bit later. So that wouldn't necessarily be in the, in the Boston window, but those again are, are smaller races. Um, in the past he's done, and I think he's probably going to do it again, different start times for people who wanted, they had like a 6 a.m. start time, a 7 a.m. start time, and an 8 a.m. start time. So that would work really well with, with spreading people out. And it's a small race anyway. Um, but again, and it is on the CNO canal towpath, which is flat, which is very nice. Uh, but you know, definitely a little bit different surface than a lot of people are used to running on. Yeah. And then there's also the issue, even though it's a much smaller race, will they be able to get enough volunteers? And of course there still is the whole issue of, um, you know, medical and it are, is, do, do we want to pull those resources? So with a smaller race, I don't feel like it's as much of an ethical issue because it wouldn't be as many resources being pulled out of the community at all. Um, so it's, it looks a little different. And I feel like it is something that, that could go, I think in the realm of possibility, there's definitely a stronger possibility that those races will not 
be canceled. So to those listening who live outside of the DC area, we encourage you, if you need, feel the need to run a fall marathon, stay local and look for small, small races. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, that, that's all I've got, but um, I feel like we covered a lot and a lot of the questions we got and a lot of the questions we got were kind of related to those questions. I think we covered them all under those. We're always well happy to answer questions if people want to email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com. Uh, we hope to help a lot of people target their goals in the future, whether that's qualifying for Boston or it's just getting back on track. We've had a lot of runners that we've started coaching recently who are like, I don't know if races are coming back, but I just need some structure because I've totally lost my direction. And, and that's, that's a great goal too, is just getting back on some kind of schedule that has, has a purpose. That's okay too. Yeah. I'm so, I, I have really enjoyed coaching during this time. It, I've said this before, but it, it not only gives us purpose um, and makes us feel like we're, we're, doing something for others to, to bring some certainty to other people. But I, I really enjoyed watching people progress without sort of the deadline of a race. It's been really fun and it's allowed us to kind of really get to know our runners on a different level without the pressure of having a goal race at a certain date where we need to get ready and have a taper and all those things. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. So speaking of races before we go, uh, 4th of July is usually when we get a group together and run the Autism Speaks 5K. And because that race is virtual, anyone, anywhere in the country can run it. We set up a team, um, Run Farther and Faster, and we would love for anyone out there who's looking for a virtual race on the 4th of July and wants to support a good cause, which is Autism Speaks. We would love for you to join our Run Farther and Faster team. We will put a link in the show notes, but... Um, we would love for you to run it. So um, anyway, Lisa, I hope that you have a great week and a wonderful 4th of July. And we will be back in two weeks. We're going to take next week off from podcasting and we'll be back in two weeks. And um, that's all I got. Bye, Lisa. Happy, happy 4th of July. Thanks. Bye. Bye.